Our reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which is on page 1217. And then we're going to skip to 1221 for chapter 5. So we're going to start at 1 Peter chapter 1 on page 1217. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And I'm going to hop to chapter 5. Verses 12 to 14. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Great, thank you very much, Fran, for reading for us. Let's pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together, please do help us. Help us to understand what you're saying to us today. Help us to understand your wonderful plans for your people. And help us to understand what kind of God you really are. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I took up boxing. It was a fad. It lasted about a year. And then I gave up. The main reason I gave up was because I had the sneaking suspicion that at some point I would get hit in the face, it would hurt, and I'd be forced to ask myself that question that none of us really likes asking of ourselves, and so try to avoid it as best we can. And that question is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person who dusts yourself off, gets back in the ring, gets back into the fight? Or are you the kind of person who gets back up, dusts yourself off, and runs in the opposite direction? (laughs) I had a sneaking suspicion I knew what kind of person I was. So I gave up boxing and started doing some far more genteel sports instead, which basically involves watching them on TV. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question, what kind of person are you? Other people ask, of course. They say, tell me about yourself, which is just another way of asking the same question. And when we give them an answer, we normally answer along the lines of the kind of thing that we do or how we relate to other people. So tell you about myself. Um, Oh, I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a builder, I'm a teacher. That's kind of what we do, isn't it? Or tell you about myself. Uh, I'm Fred's mum, I'm Bill's dad, I'm John's wife. That's how we relate to other people. We normally define what kind of person we are based on the kind of stuff we do 
or how we relate to other people. If we give that answer, we might be factually correct, but we'll have missed the big picture. And that's what we're going to get this morning. That's what the Apostle Peter gives us at the start of this letter that we're going to be looking at together over the coming few Sunday mornings. And the big picture is this. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has chosen you to be made perfect in Christ. So my name's Tim, I do something in finance, I'm George's dad. But big picture, God's chosen me to be made perfect in Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know, whatever your name is, God has made you, God has chosen you uh, to be made perfect in Christ. Christ Church Banstead, a local church in Banstead, God has chosen us to make us perfect in Christ, which is a huge claim for Peter to make about Christians, isn't it? Because it says the kind of person that we are is defined by what God has done for us rather than anything we've done. And so that has knock-on implications for how we view other people, how we view ourselves, how we value other people, how we value ourselves, how secure we feel in life. And actually, more than that, it'll govern whether we can be at peace in this life or not. This claim has big implications for us if we're Christians. But if you're here this morning, wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, this is just as important for you as it is for anybody else. Because as we dig into this claim together, I hope you'll see what God has done for his people and you'll want him to become your God too. So let's get some background to the letter. Let's get our bearings. Uh, the Apostle Peter wrote it in the middle of the first century. And if you read through this letter, as we'll do over the coming Sunday mornings, you'll see he wrote it to help regular Christians live and work and navigate a non-Christian world. That's why he wrote it. To help Christians, that pe- that's people who trust in Jesus, want to live for him, to help them navigate life, surrounded by a world that wants the opposite, and with hearts, minds and bodies that still sin. So given that many of us in this room are Christians, we probably need some help navigating life, this letter is going to have a lot to say to us over the coming weeks. But instead of starting this letter with all kinds of do this and don't do that, Peter doesn't do that. Instead, he starts reminding us of life's big picture. And that starts with Christians are chosen by God. That's our first point this morning. Christians are chosen by God. By God. Take a look down with me, if you would, at verse 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elect and chosen. So before the world began, if you're a Christian here this morning, God decided he was going to make you part of his eternal family. He chose you. Let me say that again. 
Before the world began, if you're a Christian here this morning, God decided he was going to make you part of his eternal family. He chose you. And God chose you according to his foreknowledge. Did you see that in verse 2? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So this isn't God's advanced knowledge of how we pan out, whether we be good or bad, and picking the good ones in advance. This isn't God looking ahead to the under-10s, seeing which are going to be Premier League players one day, picking them up on the cheap now. It's nothing like that. If you flick ahead one verse to verse 3, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. God chose us in his great mercy, not because he looked into the future and said, wow, Tim's going to be a great guy one day. I'd love to have him in heaven, so I'll choose him now. No, God did look into the future. He's God, he can do that. And he knew exactly what we'd be like. Rebellious sinners living in God's world with scant reference to him. God knew exactly what we would be like. And he had mercy on us. And mercy means not giving us what we do deserve. We deserved God's judgment for how we've lived in his world. We didn't deserve to be chosen by him and given new spiritual life. But God chose us and acted anyway. Simply put, if we're Christians here this morning, before we were born, God chose us to be part of his family, despite us not deserving it at all, and we had nothing to do with it because we weren't born yet. Now that raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? If we're Christians, why me? Is that fair? Is that too good to be true? Should I bother telling people about Jesus if God's chosen people anyway? Should I tell everybody about Jesus so that all those God has chosen can hear and respond to him? Those are really good questions to ask and think through. If you want to do that, the middle of the book of Romans is a good place to go, as is the book of Ephesians. Uh, I'd recommend this book to you as well. It's called Chosen by God by Sproul, um, if you really want to dig into those questions further. But Peter doesn't deal with those questions here, and so we're not going to either. Instead, what Peter does, he goes straight to why we might feel like it's not true. So let me ask you, do you feel like that's true? Do you feel, if you're a Christian here this morning, do you feel like you've been chosen by God that he set his perfect love upon you? See, as you woke up this morning, the sun shining through the huge windows in your mansion, your family chatting peacefully about all they were looking forward to learning about at church this morning. So knock on the door, it's your neighbours asking you to start a Christianity Explored course because they're desperate to hear more about Jesus. Uh, your email was silenced at the weekend. Nobody works the weekends, do they? If that was your morning, I'm very jealous. I'd love to take some tips from you if you have the time. That certainly wasn't the morning for Peter's first readers. Ordinary Christians living ordinary lives. And as we'll see over the coming weeks, 
Uh, they weren't being asked to start Christianity Explored courses. In fact, they were being persecuted for being Christians. And you know what it's like if you're persecuted for being a Christian. It is very hard to think that God has chosen you. If you're here this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus, you know in your head that God has chosen you because the Bible says so, but you don't feel it in your heart because your circumstances point to the opposite being true. Peter tells us in verse 1 that's completely normal because we're not home yet. Take a look down at verse 1 with me again, if you would. Verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We're exiles. We're foreigners in this world. Peter doesn't mean we're living in tents in the desert. He means we're spiritual exiles. You're the only Christian at school. You feel left out. That feeling's natural because you're an exile. You're the only Christian in the office. You think you're the only person who's got the values that you do. That's natural. You're an exile. You're the only Christian at the school gate. You think you're the only one who wants to talk about what really matters. That's natural because you're an exile. For Christians, the world is not our home anymore. The world is not our happy place. Our real home as those chosen by God, is with him in heaven, knowing his perfect love fully, knowing his blessing completely. That's our real home. And when we finally get there, that's the time that nothing will get in the way of us feeling in our hearts that God has chosen us. So until the day that Jesus returns or calls us home, we need to keep remembering that however we feel on any given day, the truth that God has chosen us to be part of his family is unchanging. And as we remember that truth, we should get one thing in abundance. Did you see that in verse 2? Take a look at verse 2 if you would. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. As Christians, knowing that God has chosen us should bring us a river of peace, an ocean of peace. God has chosen us. Boris Johnson was chosen to be Prime Minister. That's a privileged position. Ronaldo was chosen by Man United to be the highest paid player in Premier League history. That's a privileged position. Maybe you've been chosen to run a team in your office. That's a privileged position. Maybe you've been chosen to be head boy or head girl. That's a privileged position. Maybe you've been chosen to run a team at university. That's a privileged position. Maybe you've been chosen to be a good friend to somebody. That's a really privileged position. The one thing, though, in common with all of those is that they're generally earned by something you've done or the kind of person that you are. But compare those things to the privilege of being chosen by God before the beginning of time in spite of who we are. Nothing compares to that in terms of privilege, does it? What a privileged position. Every single person here this morning, if we call ourselves a Christian, is. And what an encouragement as well to pray our hearts out for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. 
We don't know who God chose before the beginning of time, but we do know that God loves people. And we know that God answers prayer. If we've been a Christian for any length of time, we'll have seen that countless times. So if we know that God needs to open blind eyes so people can see their need for him and put their trust in him, well, what an encouragement to pray that on. And if we're here this morning and not yet Christians, what an opportunity. Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. If you're feeling God prodding your heart this morning, pointing you in his direction, what a blessing for you. And if you pray sincerely, asking God to help you see your need for him, he will absolutely answer that prayer. He promises to in his word. And so you too can know the comfort that comes from being part of God's eternal family. Christians are chosen by God. But chosen for what? That's our second point this morning. Christians are chosen by God to be made perfect in Christ. To be made perfect in Christ. Take a look down at verse 2. Halfway through verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. What does all that mean? It means that God the Trinity is working out his plan to build a people who want to follow his Son. God the Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son. So we saw, didn't we, as Christians, we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So that's God the Father at work. And we see here that that work was done through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So the Spirit's been at work. And what's God the Spirit doing? Sanctifying. So that word means set apart for exclusive use. So if you're a Christian, God chose you by the action of his spirit in setting you apart for his exclusive use. That's a past action of God. But it's also a current action of God as his spirit continually changes our hearts. So we want what God wants more and more. Which is good news given the rest of the verse explains God's purpose in action, which is to make us obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So to be obedient to Jesus, because he's our saviour and lord, that makes sense. To be obedient to Jesus by doing what he says. And what he says first and foremost is to ask him to forgive our sins, which he can do and only he can do through his work on the cross. And we'll see in the coming weeks from the rest of Peter's letter what else being obedient to Christ looks like. And then sprinkled with his blood, that might mean the past tense, forgiveness of sins, Jesus achieved for us at the cross. It could be the regular cleansing of sins um, that we receive as we ask for his forgiveness daily, or it could mean both. But what it also means is that God will keep his promises to us. Way back in Exodus chapter 24, after God had rescued his people from Egypt, given them the Ten Commandments... Moses took the blood of an animal sacrifice made to the Lord, and verse 8 of chapter 24 of Exodus, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, 
and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Sprinkled with his blood is God's way of saying he will keep his promises. That's his promise for God to be the God of his people and his people to be his cherished possession among the nations. That is certain. See, put all that together. God the Father, Son and Spirit working together so that we, his people, might be made perfect by the sanctifying work of his Spirit, the atoning work of his Son on the cross, so that we both can and want to follow Jesus more and more. That's God's plan for me and for you if we're trusting in Jesus this morning. So why do we need to know that? Well, it's God's plan, so it's quite good to know that. Always helps to know, doesn't it? God's plan. But it also stops us thinking that we've missed out. You know, if God has chosen me, then my life should look a whole lot better than it does today. You know, I should have a perfect family, I should have a great job, deep friendship groups, good health, be talented at a variety of things, and I should see sunshine on the horizon and not storm clouds. If God has chosen me, those things must be true, right? I know that we're not prosperity gospel people here. You know, I know that we don't believe that God has promised us perfect health and perfect wealth in this lifetime. We know our Bible's better than that. But we can still quite easily drift into looking at our lives and because they look so ordinary, we can think we've missed out. These verses remind us that we haven't. God's plan is to work in our lives by his spirit so that we might want to follow Jesus more and more day by day and be empowered to do it. You can't miss out on that plan because God made it before you were born and his spirit is perfectly capable of working it out. We haven't missed out because God's plan is much bigger than giving us a life that looks perfect now in the world's eyes. He's doing something much greater than that in us. It's also good to know, because sometimes we can think we're stepping outside of God's plan. Have you heard that term? You know, maybe you're choosing where to buy a house. And what happens if you buy the wrong one? You're somehow stepping outside of God's plan for your life. Maybe you've got to fill in those pesky university forms next month, choosing which university to go to. What happens if you pick the wrong one? You're somehow stepping outside of God's plan for your life. Well, actually, as you make decisions like that, you are right in the middle of God's plan for your life because you've got the opportunity to be obedient to Jesus. So to paraphrase the Bible's teaching on where to buy a house, buy one you can afford without getting in the way of your ability to be generous, close to a church where you can get stuck in and serve alongside people, and it doesn't get in the way of you being able to tend to your family. Pick a good university, pick one you can afford with a good CU or a good church that'll help you get alongside you and help you to be a witness around you. 
there might be other considerations too, but big picture, when you make those kind of decisions, as long as we're listening to what God has told us to do in the Bible, you don't need to worry about stepping outside of his plan somehow. Because his eternal plan is to make us perfect in Christ by his finished work on the cross and the continuing work of his spirit in helping us to be obedient to Jesus. That's the plan. So what do we do with all that? Well, again, as Peter says in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And what he says, the very last verse of the letter, peace be to all of you who are in Christ. There are loads of other applications in this letter which we'll look at together over the coming weeks. But today, let's stick with Peter's big picture application. Be at peace. Be at peace. If you're a Christian, God chose you before the beginning of time to be made perfect in Christ. He acted to enable that to happen as Christ took our sins upon himself at the cross and gave us his righteousness instead. And he keeps acting at every moment of every day by his spirit to change our hearts so we'll want to follow him more and more. Life will not be perfect yet because we're exiles in this world, far from home, longing for heaven. But every single one of his people will get there in his perfect timing. So if you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, I hope you've heard enough this morning to want to look into these claims more and quickly. And if we are following him, even if our lives look a bit messy at the moment, what a privileged group of people we are. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we confess we often forget how powerful and majestic your plans are. If we're Christians here this morning, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the mercy you've shown us, not because of who we are, but because of the love you have for us. We don't pretend to fully understand the depths of your kindness to us, but we are hugely thankful for what a privilege it is to be called one of your people. And for those who don't yet know you, I pray you would open their eyes to what a wonderful God you are, to what a huge privilege it is to follow you, and that they might want you to be their God too. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.